Welcome to the Sermon of the Week. In this week's message, Pastor Ben Davis talks about believing while others are leaving. In John chapter 6, uh, verse 68, the Apostle Peter, before he was the Apostle Peter, he was just Simon actually at this point, um, spoke these words. He said, you have the words of eternal life. And those were such powerful words at the time um, because uh, it's in the context of of uh, believing when others are leaving, which is the title of today's message, is believing when others are leaving. And, um, and I, it's in the context of Jesus doing what only Jesus could do, how he built a megachurch uh, of at least 5,000 people, but most scholars would believe that there was between Five and 15, maybe even 20,000 people because it says in John 6 that there was 5,000 men. So depending on whether the wives and the children went with them, uh, there would have been 15 to 20,000 people that Jesus built up instantaneous. You know that Jesus can build an instantaneous megachurch? Isn't that amazing, his ability to do that? He built an instantaneous megachurch uh, and he did it by feeding them, and, uh, and which, you know, you give, you give away freebies, that's the fastest way to do anything, right? And so he, he did it by feeding them. But as with everything that Jesus did, he did it in the context of symbolism. It was at the Passover, and so he was about to be crucified, and so he was trying to help them uh, change over and shift over to see that he was the Passover lamb But of everything that he was challenging them with, this would have been the most difficult thing to believe in, is that he was the Passover lamb. And so he built his megachurch up to about 15,000 to 20,000 people, which I believe, and then uh, systematically whittled it back down again. I mean, and, and whittled it back down by agitating them with words that you know, would be offensive to any group of people. And so he systematically whittled his megachurch back down, all the way down to 12 disciples. And uh, sometimes I get to looking at Jesus' strategy, and I think, you know, that strategy does not make sense, especially when you put it through an American lens. And so um, he whittled it back down to, to about 12 and praised the Lord The good news is he was concerned that even the 12 were going to leave him. But you know, one leader has an amazing influence. Have you found that to be true, that one leader has an amazing influence? Have you ever found yourself in a position where you're not sure which way you're going to go, but a leader volunteers to speak for your small group, and then you go the way that leader spoke? That's what happened here, is they weren't sure which way they were going to go, but fortunately, before any of them had the opportunity to discuss it in committee, Peter spoke up and said, you have the words of eternal life. And he spoke for the 12. And because he spoke, the rest of the other 11 said, yeah, we're going to go with what he said. And so that's good news. You know, one leader is an amazing person, and God is looking for leaders in this season. God is looking for one leader that can influence 12. Because those 12 
might go the direction that that one speaks. Our words are so very, very powerful. And so, especially in an era where we see that because of the pandemic, um, all churches have lost the ability to command large groups of people from their pulpits. And so, a leader of 10 to 12 people is so much more influential and important today than it was this time last year. I remember as I'm speaking about believing when others are leaving uh, and how Jesus took his megachurch of 15 to 20,000 people and whittled it down to 12. And he did it by agitating them. And I, and I got to thinking about as a child, I was a bit of an agitator. Uh, you know, it seemed like that if I, could, uh, if I could find something to agitate it, I would. And so as a child, it was bugs. I was an agitator of bugs. Was anybody else in here an agitator of bugs when you were a child? I'm, I'm, wait, let me see. Do that again. I want to see. Wow, we've got some people that were agitator of the bugs. You know, I am, uh, of all creatures, spiders scare me the most. I'm not, snakes don't, don't scare me much, but spiders freak me out. My wife and I were on a, we went on a, a hike and, um, because someone else hadn't walked at first, there was a spider every 10 steps, a spider web. And, and it ruined the whole trip for me. I had to knock them down, knock them down, you know, and because um, I kept on getting hit with webs. And uh, so, so we were agitators of bugs and whatnot. And so I remember a time in my childhood when we found a bumblebee nest underneath a pile of dead grass. And so as agitators, we just decided, well, we need to agitate the nest. So we would go uh, get some weeping willow you know, branches, and what we would do is, is we would lift the nest. A few bees would come out, and we would whip them. And you know what I'm saying? Because bumblebees are bigger than other bees. You could whip them. And if you do it long enough, you're going to hit one, and you'd kill them. And so you know, as you, as you keep on doing this without getting stung, you get bolder. And so, you know, we'd let a few more out, and then we would kill them, you know, and, and then you'd run if one gets out of hand and whatnot, and, and bumblebees are just a little bit slower, so that worked well. But as we got bolder and bolder, you know, you invite friends along to agitate with you. How many of you guys know that people do that too, you know? People that are agitating like to, to invite uh, people to agitate with them, you know? And so, so we invited some friends, and as it always goes... Uh, we brought a new friend into this business and we said, no, it's safe. You won't get stung. We've been doing this for weeks. And so we convinced them to open up the nest and taught them to sling the whip at those things. And sure enough, your new friend, everybody know what happens to the new friend? They get stung a couple of times. Happens every time, right? And so our friend got stung a couple of times and of course they unfriended us on Facebook after that. And no, there wasn't any Facebook back then. So what happened here in this setting is just imagine the Passover. And uh, so people are coming from all over the region to come and be a part of the Passover. And they hear about Jesus and his miracles. And so what they decide to do is we're going to come up and we're going to, uh, we're going to go seek out this Jesus. And Jesus is the one who introduces the idea, let's give them a freebie by feeding them. <coughs> Excuse me. The disciples were none too keen on this idea, but he convinced them. He said, let's feed them. And so, uh, 
you know, the way it reads in John chapter 6, it seems likely that they had to go buy some bread and some fish for, from a little boy that, that had a little bit for sale there, you know, make it, have a little business going on. And so they bought those, but they said, this is not enough to feed the crowd. And of course, what Jesus did was he prayed over it and multiplied their offering. Uh, and Jesus will always multiply your offering. He has an amazing ability to do that. He multiplies our offering. So he multiplied their offering enough to feed 5,000 men or 15 to 20,000 people if the women and children were present. So then after feeding them, they are like, well, this is a good deal. Now, I want you to imagine yourself if you had traveled from a far country and you were going to the Passover, and you went out and sought out this guy that you think is a prophet because he does miracles, and he has the ability to take five fish and a couple of loaves of bread and multiply it and feed fifteen to 20,000 people, and you've been traveling, and you know, you're, you got your sack lunch, and you know, you're probably out of food, and it's expensive. Would you follow him for the next one? They did. They followed him across the lake onto the next one. And of course, what are they looking for? Do it again, Jesus. Feed us again. This is good stuff. Freebies. Freebies in Christianity. That's a good one. And so they did. And then Jesus decides to turn the corner and agitate them just a little bit. In John 6, 27, he says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. And so he turns the corner on them and says, Listen, you've made a great effort to follow me from this region across the lake over to this region, but your motives are wrong. Now, have you ever had someone tell you your motives are wrong? It's a highly offensive thing. And so he said, your motives are wrong. You're working for the wrong kind of food. You need to learn to work for the, first, for the, for the right kind of food. And so this message this morning is about angry bees that will sting you in this time. Angry bee number one is this kind of thinking. Now we've lifted the bumblebee nest and these angry bees are out and they're looking to sting people. And it is, I have the right to do what I want to do. I have the right to do what I want to do. You know the United States of America is built on rights. Has anybody else besides me felt some of these rights stripped away from you during this time? Raise your hand if you felt these rights stripped away from you during this time. Oh yeah, we've had rights stripped away from us during this time. And just when you think that, okay, it's not going to happen anymore, then you find out another right has been stripped away from us. And that attitude of, I have the right to do what I want to do, is like an angry bee that will sting you. And it will make you angry enough to sting somebody else as well. Well, Jesus continued the conversation in John 6, 29, and he says, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You see, 
Jesus was trying to get them to, you know what, you're spending the entirety of your lives building careers. You're spending the entirety of your life building families, building things that you will make easier for yourself. And he says, let's reverse that. I want you to spend the rest of your life in this kind of work, believing that Jesus is the one whom God is sent. And what that means is that he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide all that you need, even in a time when your rights are being stripped away from you. That attitude of I have the right to do what I want to do is poison in Christianity. It will destroy your faith faster than almost anything else there is, especially when it is in the context of tradition. I have found that the more religious we become, the more angry we are when our rights are stripped from us. I was reminded of a time, now, as most of you know, I wasn't raised in church, so I didn't uh, you know, come out of the womb religious per se. I came out of the womb a heathen. I came out of the womb, you know, not going to church. I came out of the womb not knowing anything about the Bible. But, you know, I got radically saved, and then I started learning the Bible and started learning about Jesus and, and loving the ways of Jesus and loving the church. I, you know, I have loved the local church from the day that I got saved. And so, uh, you know, the things that you love, you defend. Can I say that again? The things that you love, you defend. And so sometimes too much. Sometimes you defend it too much. So it's a, it's a learned discipline to say, this thing which I love, I will hold in my hand not like this, but I will hold in my hand like this. And of course, every parent has to go through this because when their children are babies, they get to hold them like this. And then when they become you know, a little bit older, they have to hold them like this. And then when they become adults, they have to hold them like this. And so... I was reminded of a time when I felt my rights were violated. I was working for the state of Missouri, so I had a state job, government job. And in our government office, we had a coworker that annoyingly played hard rock all day long from their cubicle in a way that the rest of us could hear. And of course, you know, my mom banned hard rock before I was a Christian, so I'd had no addiction to it before I was a Christian. Therefore, I didn't even like the beat because, um, you know, it was, it was she, she as, as a non-Christian family, she declared all those hard, hard rock singers as Beelzebub and, uh, and as, you know, as those kind of people. So, uh, so I, I didn't even like the beat before I was a Christian, but, but I'm, I'm having to listen to it all day long. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I got a little radio, and I turned on 88.3, spiritual giant that it is. You know what I'm saying? And It's just Christian music, you know? And this had a deep meaning to me, and the reason that it did was that when I first became a Christian, Christian music was just being introduced, and it was like a lifeline to me. I mean, I grabbed it, I devoured it, I hung on to it. It was part of that which transformed my depression into joy. 
it caused me to cry out to God to want more. So, you know, Christian music as a whole had deep meaning to me. And then I didn't, wasn't being belligerent. I just turned it on loud enough for me to hear, but somebody complained. And sure enough, a note goes out from my supervisor saying, this is a state-owned building, so we cannot play Christian music in the state-owned building. Praise the Lord, I was deeply offended. So I went to my pastor because of this deep offense. And the pastor had a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a word of prophecy for me. He said, you know what? If you will lay this one down and not fight for your rights, God will give you a better opportunity to minister and to prove his righteousness. Well, that produced faith in my heart, but it also produced an act of my will. I will lay this down and I will not fight it. Week or two goes by and God set up a situation that only he could set up where I was on the job and I had a client that had a deep felt need. They had nightmares every single night. And then those nightmares were coming into their daytime. So night and day, they were seeing horror images from their past. And they were pleading and begging for help. And I was put in this very difficult position where I could either help them or not, based on my job. So in this case, I looked at the situation and said, I'm going to help them. And I said, well... Would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord? And if you will, God will give you the power to forgive. And then when you forgive, those nightmares and those day horror images, they will leave. And they said, I will do anything necessary to get rid of these nightmares and these day images that I'm having. And I said, okay. So I led them to receive Jesus. And I said, now it's up to you. Will you forgive? They said, I will. And they forgave. And then the result was they were radically, completely healed. And then the person they were with, I was ready to go. And the person they were with said, hey, what about me? I'm not sleeping either. And I said, well, we can pray for you too. And they got radically healed. So I had two people that got radically healed. And I thought, you know what? Praise the Lord. It was done in private. No harm done. Until they wrote a thank you note that went into our state office through my supervisor and told on me. Praise the Lord, I didn't get fired. And when time came for my review, my supervisor brought it up and said, well, you helped them. Move on to the next subject. Isn't that something? And in hindsight, I would much rather have had the opportunity to heal someone than fight for my right to listen to my local Christian radio station. How about you? If you have to choose, which would you choose? I'm here to tell you, as people are fighting for the rights, and I understand it, God is granting the precious gift of repentance to many. Remember what I said earlier, that the more religious that we are, 
the more we are hardened, the more we fight for our rights. I'm going to ask Nathan Helsley, would you come up here? And, um, and I'm going to ask him to pray a prayer of repentance over um, what we see in Christianity in America of fighting for our rights. And um, you have to come up on stage so the camera can grab you, Nathan, there. Um, and I want to say before he prays, and what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to have a point, and then we're going to pray a prayer of repentance, and we're going to sing on it as well, just to, to help our emotions get involved in our repentance. You know, repentance is one of the most precious gifts that God gives us. Pastors all over America are repenting from not preaching repentance enough. And repentance is one of the most precious gifts that God gives us. You know, to the, to the ultra-religious, repentance is offensive. Matter of fact, I found that the more religious you are, the more offensive repentance is. But to the guy like me who needed a lifeline, repentance was one of the most precious gifts God could ever give me because it gave me hope that a guy like me could change. And since that's the way I entered into Christianity, then repentance has been a precious gift to me for all of my days. And so, Nathan, would you just pray a prayer of repentance for us as we've been expressing our rights too much? Yeah, Lord, we, uh, we ask for you to forgive us for expressing our need for, for rights. And Lord, uh, we ask for that miracle gift of repentance to fall down on the church. Lord, your, your word says to submit to the governing authority because you have put them there. And Lord, we know that you have put them there. So Lord, we just give up all of our rights. And we surrender them to you. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to come in and give us honor towards our authorities. Honor towards Walmarts that have you wear masks. Honor it's not about our rights. It's about us giving honor to those in authority. Lord, we wouldn't expect uh, guests to our home to disrespect our rules, to take, take your shoes off. We wouldn't expect them to argue with us about that. So, Lord, we, we ask for those arguing with those that are in authority, even though it may not be to their face, but just in their hearts, Lord, for them to submit that to you, for them to repent of that dishonor, repent of that rebellion, and say, I will honor what you have asked me to do. I will honor your authority that God has given to you. Lord, we just thank you so much for that uh, uh, submission to authority. Lord, you, Jesus, you submitted to the Father. You, you submitted to humans in multiple ways. So Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit just to come in and give us a, a spirit of submission, which is opposite of uh, kind of the American spirit. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Nathan. Appreciate that. Nathan is the as a house church leader and he and Sasha also lead Shiloh Hour Prayer Ministry and a Tuesday morning prayer ministry uh, for our church. After every prayer of repentance, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to worship the Lord so it can get into our emotional DNA. I want to encourage you, go ahead, if you go ahead and stand, I want to encourage you that um, 
You might be in one of two positions this morning as the Lord is ministering. A is you might be in a position where you are living for the world instead of living for Jesus. And you have, you've tried to solve the problems that are happening through drugs and alcohol and through, uh, through just, just, and it's been, it's gotten you depressed and down and whatnot. Receive the precious gift of repentance this morning and you can have a new beginning in Jesus as if it's just start over. It's just a, a restart. It's just a fresh start. The other category of people we might be ministering to these this morning are people that find uh, repentance offensive, and that's because you're ultra-religious. And so the more religious we are, the more offensive repentance is to us. And so if you're being offended, we want to encourage you to let this song get in your heart and get unoffended so that the gift, God's precious gift of repentance can come upon you so that God's hand of refreshing winds of the Holy Spirit will come upon his people in the church. So Pastor Jared, just lead us in this song. verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Now, I am so grateful so many times that I have the privilege of reading this in the Bible, and therefore I have the privilege of hindsight when I look at this, as opposed to being one of the people that were there that this was offending. Now, how many of you are grateful that you have the privilege of looking at it and understanding the entire context as opposed to being one of the people that just ate the bread and the fish and Jesus turns the corner on you and says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And this would have been highly offensive. Now, how many of you are grateful that you got the uh, gift of hindsight when you look at it, right? What if it turns now and Jesus introduces something to you that you don't have the gift of hindsight on? Like a pandemic. I'm just saying. And so, uh, by the way, I want to celebrate. We, we want to celebrate all wins. We did have a couple of COVID miracles this weekend. I mean, this week. Just that, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We've been believing for that. So we're getting some COVID miracles. We've been saying all along that all of the other miracles we're experiencing are strengthening our faith to deal with COVID. So we've had some COVID miracles. We're praising the Lord and thanking the Lord for those. And we believe we're going to see some more COVID miracles. Everybody understand what I'm saying when I, a COVID miracle? That's not the miracle of the pandemic. That's the miracle of God invading in the modern day leprosy and cleansing it like he did 
their leprosy. And so we're, we're thankful for that. Lord, we say more. We want more, Lord. We want more cleansings, Lord, in Jesus' name. We believe you're able, and we thank you for those things. And then um, because he offended them by saying, I am the bread of life, what he's saying to them is when you go to the Passover, and part of the Passover ceremony is you eat unleavened bread. We still do that today when we partake of the Lord's Supper. He's saying, listen, if there's going to be a replacement. For 1,500 years, you've been eating unleavened bread. Now I am the Passover bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger in your spirit, in your soul. Well, because they were caught in tradition... John 6.41 says, So the Jews grumbled about him. Would you say they grumbled about him? Honey, I'd ask you to come up here and answer the question whether I have grumbled or not. But I would be afraid of your answer. <laughs> you know, I've learned that it, grumbling is a good thing to repent from. And since God gave me the precious gift of repentance, I like to repent from grumbling. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I've found that, uh, that people love to grumble. That people have often taken grumbling like a child does a security blanket that they drag around. Have you ever seen a child take a security blanket and they drag it around, you know, everywhere they go? And it's, now, I am told that when I was a child that I had a security blanket in the palm of my hand and then the thumb in my mouth, and I'd walk around with it like this. And what I find is that what ha people do often is they, they put their thumb in their mouth and they grumble while carrying their blanket around. And, uh, you know, through the years, uh, I have learned to confront grumbling. I try to be nice about it. It's hard to be nice when confronting grumbling, but uh, I've tried to. But uh, one year, uh, as we were working through youth camp, I decided, you know, I'm going to make it a theme this year that we are not going to grumble. So as a memory verse, we memorized Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15 as a youth group. And it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so we had all of the youth memorize that. And you know that that lasted for years. It started a trend that year where they were conscious of grumbling. And you know, at youth camp, you're sleeping about four to five hours a night if you're doing well. So grumbling becomes more natural after like the second or third night. And so what we learned though is, is that it set a, a, in motion kind of an atmosphere that we're not going to grumble. And what we learned was we could do more and more challenging things because we had dispelled that spirit of grumbling. And it got so comical, we built on that through the years, that one year I had them... 
they had to wear a name tag that had a scripture memory, a ridiculously long and hard scripture memory verse that I just assumed most of them it would take all week to memorize. And they hated those name, those name badges. So you had to wear your name badge. And if you ever seen with one, you had to do push-ups. So most youth were doing push-ups all week long, either because they tried to take their name badge off or because they got the scripture wrong whenever they tried to quote it to us. And so it was over and over again. You'd have to do 20 push-ups, you know. And, and some of them, it by, you know, Friday, they were finally getting to take their name badge off. And it became fun and comical. And the reason we were able to do that was because we had laid a foundation of no grumbling. It's an amazing thing. And what I find is that grumbling, and I'm going to ask uh, Sasha, would you come up and, and lead us in prayer to repent from, I have the right to grumble. I have the right to register my complaint on Facebook. I have the right to register my complaint on, uh, what's the new one? Marco Polo, Twitter. Uh, I lose track of all these things. I have the right to register my complaint here and there and grumble and people, you know, just love to grumble. But this is a good thing to repent of and I want to encourage you. You might fall in one of two camps this morning. You might be a person that is turned into this world and you're turned into all the devices of this world. Maybe you're just, you know, become a news junkie. Maybe, and, and that'll make you grumble. Or maybe you've gone into drugs or alcohol and that'll make you grumble. Or, you know, maybe you've just become angry or fearful. It's a good time to repent and turn to Jesus. And if you will do that, he will deliver you. And, or you might be an extremely religious person. And that religiosity has caused you to pick up a spirit of grumbling. And it's good either one to repent and receive that precious gift of repentance. So, Sasha, I'm going to ask you to pray. And I think this time let's all stand for the prayer of repentance. And then, uh, then Pastor Jerry is going to leave us, lead us in that song again. Yes. Lord, thank you, God, um, just for this word of wisdom to just stop grumbling. Lord, we just repent right now, God, just for that complaining spirit, that grumbling spirit, and just that negativity that that we've allowed into our lives, Lord. And God, you say that we should enter your enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. So, Lord, we just replace that grumbling in our hearts with just the, an overflow of thanksgiving and praise, Lord. And we just ask that God, as we begin to change our thoughts and change our words, Lord, and change our attitudes, um, because God, that's what repentance means. It means to change the way you think and, and change the way you act and to turn around from the way that you once walked. So Lord, I pray we would walk forward with uh, rejoicing and with words of kindness, with words of compassion and with gracious words, Lord. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sasha.
be seated again. And I'm so grateful so many times that uh, God did not call me to be Jesus because as I look at this story, I'm convinced that if I was Jesus and I was able to build a mega church of 20,000 people and uh, God had a different plan than that, I'm not sure I would have followed through. I would have said, I would have told God, Lord, Everything you're suggesting is a bad idea. You want me to whittle these people back down to 12? You want me to offend these people with these kinds of words? And, but Jesus, you know, he set the model and the example in John chapter 6, verse 51, as he continues on his pathway of offending them. Remember, he's offending their religious spirit and their religious practices. You see, because he was a friend of sinners, but an enemy to the modern-day church that was in their day. And so he was going to offend them to give them an opportunity to repent. And he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, when we look at this in hindsight, we see through the lens of the cross, he was speaking of the cross of Jesus Christ, that he was going to die on the cross, and that if we want to experience forgiveness of sins, we have to look to the cross. If we want to experience joy, we look to the cross. If we want to experience peace, we look to the cross. If we want to forgive someone else's sins, we look through the cross. That's what he's describing, right? Basically, any need that I have... I look through the cross to the need and I get my need met and the result is my soul fills up with so much fullness and joy and pleasure in the Lord that I don't need to be addicted to alcohol or the drugs or pornography or whatever. And, and, and those things become less and less of a battle for me because I am filled up through the cross. But they didn't have that privilege. They were hearing these words before the cross happened. So what were they hearing? Cannibalism? They were hearing deeply offensive words. And so that's why John 6.52 says, Then the Jews disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, remember before it said, the Jews grumbled among themselves. Have you noticed that grumbling never takes place by yourself? Have you noticed that for grumbling to be fulfilled, it needs a partner? And that 
two people grumbling need three. And three people grumbling need four. And so disputing works the same way. They disputed among themselves. To dispute means to disagree, argue, fuss, point figures. Does that sound like today? And so the angry bee number three that will sting you is I have the right to dispute you. I have the right to dispute you. I'm reminded of a time when uh, the Holy Spirit led my wife and I to build a house. It's kind of an era like today where, you know, uh, it's really hard to buy a house because they're going above the asking price. And so we just felt led to build and we didn't have enough money. So every dollar was a faith project. Lord, bring us another dollar so we can complete the project. And I get to the end of the project and was too worn out to do my own lawn work, so I hired a company. And they totally messed it up. And I knew they messed it up because I was a landscaper. So at the end of the project, I said, you messed it up. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. And they said, give me my money. And I said, well, you messed it up. And they said, give me my money. And no matter what I would say, they said, give me my money. It was like a pre-recorded, you know, it was just uh, they had their iPhone out. Yeah, but give me my money. And so I remember where I was at in my home when the Holy Spirit spoke these words to my heart. He said, give them the money. I'll make it up to you. And of course, I was tempted to say, but Lord, they're wrong. Give them their money. I'll make it up to you. So I wrote them a check. Praise the Lord. Had to redo everything. Amen. I love redoing other people's work that I just paid them for. And the Lord made it up to me. I have the right to dispute you will sting you. And so we want to give up that right. And Pastor Jared, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer of repentance for this one over I have the right to dispute you and then lead us in another song if you would. Lord, forgive us for the times that we feel that we're right and other people are wrong and that's what matters most. God, point our perspective, point our vision back towards you and back towards your kingdom during this time of sacrifice, of putting other people before ourselves, mm. even when we think that we're right. God, you've spoken to us that during this time, humility is the way forward. And I just pray that we would continue to grow in that, that people would not look at us as proud American Christians, but as humble Christians and followers of Christ. Not worried about our rights, but worried about the kingdom, the movement of Jesus, that that would become our priority. And we just thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.
when you genuinely repent, there is a washing, a cleansing, a fulfilling move of the Holy Spirit. We're almost done with the story. If you'll just be seated one more time and let's look at what happened next. In John 6, 63, Jesus saw they were getting offended and he wasn't winning any people to his side. So he said these words. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That passage of Scripture has helped me so many times. My opinion is no help at all. My grumbling is no help at all. My disputing is no help at all. Only the Holy Spirit is going to make a difference. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. And then in John 6.66, it says, After this, many of his disciples... I wish it didn't say the word disciples. I wish it had said many of those who hung out to get fed. I wish it had said many of the sinners that had been gathered around to him, many of the tax collectors that had been gathered around him. I wish it had said that many of the homeless people that had been gathered around him, anything other than many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And at that point, Jesus was no longer thinning out his megachurch, but he was actually thinning out his disciples. And in this era, of course, we've seen that. It always starts with the public figures, and you may or may not have seen it, depending on how much you pay attention to Christian news. But if we were just a couple of months into the pandemic that we began to see public figures that had written amazing books or sang amazing songs renounce their Christianity turn into the world. We began to see people fall away. And then you begin to see people leave churches. It, it, it comes in all forms. The people that were disciples in one way or another turn back and follow no more. This is normal because angry bee number four that will sting you is I have the right to leave. I have the right to to leave. That was a fundamental right I gave up. I figure I don't have the right to leave. I don't have the right to leave Jesus, and I don't have the right to leave any church that he placed me in. I don't have the right to leave any relationship that he's placed me in. I figure if I get into a relationship, I give up my rights for that relationship. I figure if I, go, if I come into Jesus, I give my, up my rights so that I can have a relationship with Jesus. I figure if I, if I get involved in a local church, I give up my rights to be in fellowship with that local church. But many disciples hold on to certain rights, and then they say, I have the right to leave. And we have to learn to give up that right. So let me pray this final prayer of repentance and we're going to sing one more time and then we'll close out with the good news of Peter. Would you go ahead and stand as we sing this one more time? Lord, I just thank you that in order to have relationship, we have to give up our rights. Lord, I willingly give up my rights to have a good marriage. I willingly give up my rights to have a good relationship with my children and my parents. I willingly give up my rights, Father God, 
in order to have uh, uh, employment, Lord God. Willingly give up my rights, Lord God, to be able to function in a local church in relationships, O oh God. Lord, I willingly give up my rights, Father, to honor those, that 20% of the population that is at risk in the pandemic. I, I willingly give up my rights, Father, to have relationship with that 20% of the population that is at risk, Father God. I willingly give up my rights, Father. And I just thank you, Father. And I, most of all, willingly give up my rights to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit where He energizes, where he energizes me and where He just, just gives me hope and gives me purposes and gives me His power. And I thank you, Father God, for that free will offering that we give even again this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. service with John chapter 6 verses 67 through 69 the key to the whole deal in their day was one leader who chose not to grumble not to dispute not to say I get to do what I want to do but rather, and, and not to leave. His name was Simon. And so, in this group of 20,000 people, Jesus found out there weren't many leaders. Because when people were grumbling, there was no one to stand up and say, stop grumbling. When people were disputing, there was no one to stand up and say, stop disputing. When people were saying, I have the right to do what I want to do, there was no one to stand up and say, no, you don't. And when people were leaving, as his megachurch of $20,000 was, $20,000, 20,000 people was being reduced down to 12, there were not leaders to say, uh, my influence won't leave. My influence is going to stay. But there was this one guy, famously known as Simon or Peter in the Scripture. We always look at him as the guy that was spoke before he thought, leaped before he looked, kind of a loud mouth, zealous fella. But he got this one right. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And there was one leader that had an influence of 12 people. 
And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Are we going to go to the high priest? He doesn't have the words of life. Are we going to go to the Pharisees? They don't have the words of life. We've already been kicked out of the synagogue. They don't have the words of life. All they want to do is complain every time somebody gets healed on a Sabbath. To whom shall we go? He said, you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know. Notice his, his, notice his thinking. We have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And therefore, we may not understand it all, but we're staying with you. We may not understand it all because there's too much for understand right now. We don't get it. I don't get this stuff about my flesh is food indeed. You got to drink my blood. That sounds like a vampire to me, but we're staying with you because we have come to believe and we've come to know that you have the words of life. You've got the answer for the day. So that's my closing thought and how I want to close in prayer. And Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would raise up leaders of 10 to 12 people that would influence 10 to 12 and speak for the 10 to 12. And before the 12 can say, we're, we're out of here too, we're leaving also, that one would step in front of them and say, uh, we're, no, we're staying. We, speaking for them without their permission, said, we have come to believe that you have the words of eternal life. We have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. So Lord, raise up leaders of 10 to 12, I pray, that will speak for the other 11 and say, this is the direction we're going. It's not grumbling, not disputing, not leaving, not, not expressing our rights. It's humbling ourselves for the sake of relationship. And I thank you for leaders of 10 to 12, Lord, and I pray that you'd raise them up even as we speak. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen, amen. Pastor Jared, can we sing that one song just one last time as our closing uh, for this time that we've had together?
Now, Lord, I pray that the blessings of our Lord Jesus Christ, the communion of his Holy Spirit, Lord God, and the forgiveness of Jesus would go with us this week, Lord God. I pray, Father, just release a spirit of encouragement into your people, Lord God. Release a spirit of relationships, Father God. I pray that those relationships would get tight this week, Father God. I pray, Father God, that, Lord, as we are able to lean on you and lean on each other, we will be successful. We will be victorious. We will be joyful. We will be peaceful. No matter what this week brings, we just bless you. We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This will conclude our service. I'm going to be down front if anyone needs prayer for a miracle of any sort this morning. Also, the house churches, I encourage you to pray for any needs that you have as well and fellowship with one another on your way out. It's been good to be with you. Go in the blessings of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Sermons are live casted every Sunday, 10 a.m. Central, on Facebook and YouTube. Find out more about us by visiting our Facebook page or visiting our website at Abundant.us.